Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm Scott Steele, your host, Chairman of Colorectal Surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're very pleased today to have Dr. Maserat Zucci, who is our section leader of the pelvic floor team. And Maserat, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you. So I'd like to start off and just let our listeners know a little bit more about the people that uh, we're interviewing in. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up and how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? I grew up in India and I did my medical training there. And uh, I had a collaboration with Dr. Fazio, a previous chairman. And I came in the year 2000 to lovely Cleveland. And uh, I've been here since then. I did a fellowship and then stayed on to do pelvic floor. So that's fantastic, and uh, we're very lucky to have you here. So today we're going to talk about something that, you know, maybe doesn't get the highlight of the front page of the newspaper, but it's something that a lot of people suffer with, and it's this group of so-called pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor disorders. So let's just start there. What's the pelvic floor, and then what type of disease process, or what do we talk about when we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction? Pelvic floor relates to muscles, and these muscles form the floor of your body, the the part that is held up between your legs. Uh, These muscles, they uh, have a very important role in holding up organs and causing um, continence to be effective and also to have bowel movements that are normal. Now, if there is a dysfunction in any of these muscles, you'll end up with problems like uh, incontinence or difficult evacuation or organs coming down and causing obstruction. So that is a broad view of what pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor disorders mean. Let's first just talk about who's at risk of having disorders associated with their pelvic floor. Well, everybody who has a pelvic floor is at risk, but women are more at risk because their pelvic floors undergo a lot of transitions with having children or having a hysterectomy, uh, things like that. Men uh, also have uh, pelvic floor disorders, but these are more related to how they have bowel movements and how it's more like a behavioral or a functional problem, while in women it's sometimes more a structural problem. So you have this whole group of disorders. What type of processes lead a person to have pelvic floor dysfunction? You mentioned one of them, maybe pregnancy. But what time period does this also occur on? Can you have a completely normal pelvic floor and then something happens and then it goes awry or is this a gradual type thing? So pelvic floor disorders are classified as kind of functional where there's no disease process. And then there are structural So if you have a functional problem, which could be triggered with anything, it could be a life event, it could be something that you train with, like sitting on the toilet bowl and reading or looking at your phone or playing with your computer, things like that, that uh, can change how you have a bowel movement. And then there is the structural problems that are a defect in a muscle or organs that are coming down and causing an obstruction to the flow of bowel movements. And these can trigger off a whole host of symptoms, which range from difficulty in evacuation, inability to control evacuation, pain. And so these all form the cohort of uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. So I once heard that everybody is constipated. But when do you really classify somebody as having just kind of -of run-of-the-mill routine constipation or difficulty having a bowel movement from having a true pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor disorder? 
So constipation is a very variable term. So it comes up under functional disorders again, and it's typically classified as less than three bowel movements a week. Patients generally think that having a hard bowel movement is constipation, but that is probably not it. If you have a hard bowel movement once a day, that means you're not drinking enough water. But if you have a hard bowel movement, say once a week, that is true constipation. And you could be having this problem from childhood or late teens, or it could manifest later on in life. So this is a problem that is not related to any stage of life, but can occur at any time. So I know a lot of our listeners may listen to the podcast and then go to the web and start to Google some terms and come up with some things. So let's just go through a few definitions. Tell me the difference between or what it means to have defecation dysfunction and obstructive defecation and even something that they may say out there, a paradoxical puborectalis. I think they're all kind of the same. The different uh, ways to describe it. If you have a defecatory dysfunction, it means that you sit on the toilet bowl and you cannot evacuate a bowel movement. And this could be because the muscle is overreacting, which is a paradoxical puborectalis contraction. Puborectalis is a muscle. And usually when you have a bowel movement, you have to relax this muscle to have bowel movement. But if you have created a habit where you contract it, then you have a paradoxical contraction and you can't have a bowel movement. Defecation dysfunction also can be structural, where you have an organ that's coming down, like you could have a rectocele, which is your rectum invaginating the vagina. And if this does not empty completely, that's a dysfunction. Most women have rectoceles, and these are not uh, symptomatic at all, so we do not have every rectocele to be treated. But if it doesn't empty completely, it'll probably need it. Then you can have the small bowel coming down, and that's called an enterocele. And then you can have the large bowel coming down, which is called a sigmoidocele. And not all of these require surgery until they have a significant amount of descent, which we look at via a test, which is called a defecography, and then make that decision whether it's substantial enough to cause uh, obstruction and can be relieved with surgery. So you mentioned uh, a rectocele, a sigmoidocele, a cystocele. A lot of these things are bulges in the vagina. What's the difference between a rectocele and a rectal prolapse? They are two very different uh, conditions. A rectocele, like I mentioned previously, uh, bulges outside. So it bulges outside the rectum into the vagina. And this can get filled up with stool. And it can empty with contractions of the rectum, or it may not empty. A rectal prolapse, on the other hand, is the invagination of the rectum through the anus. And it can be internal when it does not come out through the anus, or it can be a full thickness prolapse, which comes out through the external opening or the anus, and it presents as a bulge which is outside the body. And that is a true full thickness prolapse. Yeah, so different than hemorrhoids, we're talking about the full rectum coming out of there. So I'm sitting at home, I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, man, some of these symptoms are similar to what I'm experiencing. Are there any other worrisome symptoms or things that you would say to people, hey, you should go in and see your doctor about this? I think that uh, a rectal prolapse definitely needs to be seen by a doctor because the treatment is only surgical. 
a rectal seal doesn't necessarily need to be seen by a doctor unless you also have symptoms of uh, defecation disorder. Most women can feel a rectal seal in the vagina, and most of the time this doesn't have any problems. But if you have to push on the vagina to have a bowel movement, then maybe definitely you need to go see your gynecologist or a colorectal surgeon to have a better understanding of uh, whether this needs any surgery. Okay, so I'm a patient that has one of these particular type of symptoms. I come into your office. Walk me through what a patient is going to experience during that office visit. So during an office visit, uh, we take a very thorough history. We go into details of childbirth, of um, pain with uh, having an intercourse, how your bowel movements work, whether you have a problem with holding on to stool or whether you have a problem evacuating stool. We may ask you to fill out some questionnaires which help us with understanding how severe your symptoms are. And after that, we do a general exam, and then we do a specific exam looking at the vagina and the rectum if you're a woman and just the rectum if you're a man. And we do an internal exam, which is a digital exam, and then we may use a device called an anoscope to look inside. And then based on what we find, we can give you advice on whether you need just treatment, which is conservative, change in your dietary habits, maybe physical therapy, or we may ask for some more testing, which is manometry, which looks at sphincter pressures, how you evacuate stool, or it might be a defecography, which is a test which looks at defecation as it occurs, but in a radiolucent commode, and we can get a better idea of uh, how your organs move. And those are some things that you could experience if you come for an office visit. Uh, although the manometry may be done at the same visit, the defecography is definitely at a different visit. So let's go through those two tests to get a little bit more details on them. The first one is the manometry. So you had mentioned that the manometry is something to test the tone of the muscles and how well they can squeeze and push and do all that. But what does that test physically involve? What do patients have to do? Do they have to prepare for it? Is it painful in any way? Usually we don't have any preparation unless there's a lot of stool in the rectum and then we might give you an enema. It requires you to lie down on your left side. The doctor doing the test inserts a small catheter which has a balloon in it and then asks you to relax. We take some readings when you're relaxed and then when you squeeze, then fills the balloon with air or water and then figures out some volumes. Volume when you first sense it, volume when you can feel the urge to have a bowel movement and the volume when you can't tolerate that balloon. Finally, we ask you to push that balloon out, filling it with a certain volume of water. And usually if people have a problem, they may or may not be able to push this balloon out. We take pressures when you're pushing, and that's very important for defecatory disorders. So let's talk a little bit more about the radiograph that you also called a defecography. Can you give a little bit more details on that? So that test uh, requires you to take a full prep. You come into the radiology department, and they give you a very thin barium to drink. And when you're ready for the test, they put contrast of a barium in your rectum. And they also put a different contrast in the vagina, if you're a woman. Then you are asked to sit on a radiolucent commode, and they take films as you strain and when you squeeze and try to evacuate this barium which is in your rectum. They take sequential films and they make it into a movie for us so that we can see the exact process of how you defecate. They can tell us whether you are using the right muscles or using one muscle, which is the puborectalis that we talked about. We can see any rectoceles. 
We can see the small bowel, the introseals coming down, or a sigmoidal seal, and we can see some angles that the radiologist measures for us, and these tell us about the state of the pelvic floor. Yeah, and again, these are x-rays. They're not actual physical films of you doing it, but they are definitely x-rays from that. So now let's talk a little bit about how these different treatment disorders are, are treated. You talked a little bit before about conservative treatment. What does that all mean? And then kind of walk through some physical therapy that you mentioned or a biofeedback term, and then whatever surgical therapies are out there. So when we see patients, our first uh, line of action is figuring out, do they have a defecation disorder or do they have plain constipation or they have a combination of both? So if they have constipation of any kind, we have to treat that too. So we go through their diet, we try to figure out how much water they drink, what kind of diet they have, and we try to optimize that. Next, we look at uh, our examination and see what we find that we can fix. The manometry helps us too. So if we feel that the muscle is overreacting or you're contracting the wrong muscles, then we will send you for physical therapy. Physical therapists evaluate this muscle and help you to relax that muscle. So sometimes we find that the patients have pain and this pain is associated with contraction of this muscle. So we send you to physical therapists who will relax all these muscles and retrain your bowels, especially the lower part of the bowel so that you have a bowel movement. Sometimes they are successful and sometimes they are not. If you are somewhat better with physical therapy or you're not better, then we move on to the next course of treatment, which is to try and take this muscle out of the picture. And we do this by injecting Botox. Botox does the same thing it does on your face. It paralyzes that muscle. And it does so for about a period of three months. This is a reversible process. We try not to do this in patients who have any kind of leakage, but we are not injecting into the sphincter muscles, we are injecting into the puborectalis muscle. Botox takes about eight days to act and it's done in the operating room. And once we do that and the patients come back and tell us that uh, they are better, then we may repeat this treatment as and when the Botox wears out. If the Botox does not help, then we are kind of at a dead end of treatment. And then we have to go back to physical therapy or acupuncture or other modalities. Now, if you do have an associated obstructive element to this, like a rectocele that doesn't empty, or an enterocele or a sigmoidocele, that's when we send you to the gynecologist or our colorectal surgeons can also help in repairing the rectocele or repairing the enterocele or the sigmoidocele. The rectocele is done from the perineal end, that is from the vagina, and the enterocele and the sigmoidoceles are fixed through the belly. There is also a dysfunction where we find an internal rectal prolapse. That means it's not coming out, or there's just what we call a rectal intussusception, where there's only one wall that is coming down. And this can be also treated by surgery by pulling up that wall and fixing it to the tailbone, and that is called an anterior rectopexy. And this can also alleviate some of the symptoms of obstructive defecation. So on these patients that get the physical therapy, how many sessions typically does that last? 
It's a minimum of our six to eight sessions. We usually go by what the physical therapists say. If they tell us in four or five sessions that they're not making any progress, we stop it. But if we feel that they are making progress, then we will continue. If pain is a big element in the symptomatology, then we might go earlier to the Botox because it seems to respond better to an injection than the physical therapy alone. When a lot of people have problems with their pelvic floor, one of the first things that come to mind is a fear of having to wear a bag. Does a colostomy play a role in any of the treatment of this, or does this have any association with colorectal cancer? It has no association with colorectal cancer, and the only rare time that uh, we do ask the patient to uh, have a colostomy is if they have intractable symptoms that are not responding to any other methods that we have tried. And those are very rare. Most patients will respond in some form or the other. Uh, If the patients have associated intractable constipation, then we may subject them to a a subtotal uh, colectomy, which is removing most of their colon, except for about 10 inches of their rectum, and then joining the small bowel to the rectum. This goes from giving the patients diarrhea rather than having the constipation, but there's still a portion of patients who will still have the symptoms because even their small bowel may be slow or their stomach may be slow or their entire GI tract may be slow. So we have to pick and choose which patients undergo these treatments. And then for fecal incontinence, we had talked about on a previous podcast, we had talked about a sacral nerve modulation or sacral nerve stimulator. Does that have any role in the treatment of patients with pelvic floor disorders? The only indication in Europe has been for pain, pelvic pain. Outlet dysfunction constipation does not respond to this treatment. Constipation, um, there have been many trials in the UK and none of them have shown any equivocal results that it helps. In certain patients who have constipation with some incontinence, we have tried it and it seems to work, but uh, there is no evidence to show that it works only for constipation. And is there anything that patients can do to uh, avoid getting pelvic floor disorders? Don't read on the toilet. Don't look at your phone. Do your job and get out of there. Do not take too many sodas, drink lots of water, look at your diet, eat healthy, and don't overthink the bowel habits. It's a muscle. It'll work if you don't try to make it do something that it shouldn't be doing. All right. Excellent words of wisdom. We like to end up all our guests with a couple of quick takes, a couple of quick hitters. What's your favorite sport or activity? Uh, Traveling. And uh, Masrat, you're a good cook, but what's your favorite meal? My favorite meal is an Indian dish called biryani. And biryani, okay. And what's your favorite book? The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Very good. And tell us one thing you like about living here in Cleveland. I haven't lived anywhere else in the United States. So this is home for me, away from home, and it's now become my primary home. Uh, I like Cleveland. It has the best of all worlds. It has a little bit of everything, sport, music, art, uh, you name it, the lake, the mountains, the flatlands, you name it. It's got parks that are beautiful, and it's got the greenery. When I come back to Cleveland, it makes me happy to see all the greenery as we land. Well, that's fantastic. So to learn more about pelvic floor disorders, please download our free bowel disorders treatment guide at clevelandclinic.org slash bowel disorders. And to make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic specialist, please call 216-444-7000. And please also consider subscribing to the Butts and Guts podcast in iTunes and leaving a rating or review. Mazra, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you for having me. 
That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.